Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Anywhere But Here, God. Or God, anywhere but here. However you want to say it, uh, the whole idea is anywhere but here. First Kings seventeen eight to nine, and it reminds me this this passage reminds me of the saying out of the frying pan into the fire, right? Going from bad to worse. And you ever feel that way? Nobody here, but you might know somebody is is feeling that way, or or has felt that way, or if you haven't, you're going to be feeling that way, right? Uh, maybe that's where your life is right now. Well, if it is, you're in the right place, because we're going to see that's what's happening to Elijah. And we're also going to see, though, that God has a purpose in the fire, the frying pan to the fire. And I think it will encourage, I hope it will encourage each of us as we go through our, our struggles and battles in life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship, the refocusing. We thank you for bringing each one of us here. We know that we're here for a reason that you want to speak to us and move us forward in our faith, taking that next step of faith. We pray that your spirit would speak to us through your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick it up with, uh, I'm just read the first seven verses again, just kind of set the tone of what's been going on. We're in the life of Elijah, and we talked about how Elijah is a prophetic picture of Jesus' prophetic ministry, lots of uh, types, which we'll see even more next week. I got a good one for next week. Uh, but also a picture of the United States today because what they're going through in Israel at this time, apostasy is very clear, very similar to what our country has been going through spiritually, apostasy. And, but also there's many spiritual lessons from the life of Elijah that we can connect the dots very easily to our own life. Okay, So let's pick it up with verse 1. If you missed any of the first four, you can go back on the podcast or get the CD. Verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And that was last week. The brook dries up, and we talked about dependence, how God allows the brooks in our life to dry up to to teach us to depend on him alone instead of the brook. We depend on him alone. Once again, you can get the CD or go on the podcast, YouTube. But God, I, I mentioned last week how God is also preparing Elijah, not just teaching him dependence, but preparing him for the next step. The next step. And the next trial. <laughs> you know, the next step involves another trial. And through that, he's, de- he's developing his faith, deepening his faith. Each step of the way deepens his faith and prepares him for the next step. And that's really what God is doing as Christians. Sometimes we become Christians. We think, well, now that I'm a Christian, life's going to be pretty good. You know, it's going to be nice and God's going to just take care of me and keep me out of, of, out of harm's way. And, and there's even this whole movement out there on, you turn on the TV, you hear the health, wealth, word of faith, false teachers out there teaching this, this 
garbage. And so, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says the whole point of us, salvation, after salvation, we put our faith in Christ, we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes inside, and, and he definitely gives us grace and mercy as we go through battles. But the whole, God's whole goal is not to make us comfortable here on earth. His whole goal is to prepare us for eternity. To prepare us for a life someday, there won't be trials, there won't be struggles. There's going to be the rewards in living in God's presence and living like God intended, you know, in, in the garden before sin. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and, and it's going to be all brand new. We're going to have that life with Jesus. But to get us ready, we are not ready. Well, maybe some of you think you are, but I'm not ready. We're not ready. So God has to refine us. He has to prepare us for heaven. And that's what it, our, our life is constantly preparing us for heaven. That's God's goal. That's why he puts us through this refiner's fire that we're going to be talking about. And so God is preparing Elijah for the next step. The next step. God may be getting ready to prepare you. He may be getting ready to move you or to get you moving. He's always getting ready to move us or to get us moving. And, 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 and we have to wait for his clear leading. Just like Elijah, we have to wait for his clear leading, but we have to be ready to go when he leads. We have to be ready to go. And whether it's across the street or around the world, we have to be ready to take that step of faith when God calls us to take it. Okay, so now we come to verses, that was last week. We come to verses 8 and 9 now. God is getting Elijah ready to move, and now we see what he says. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Uh, we'll stop right there. We'll do the next week. Don't miss the next week. It gets wild, even wilder. Uh, I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. There's a lot packed into these two verses. Shocking. It's shocking, actually. Uh, and it's all a picture of our life. It's all preparing us for our life and what we're going through. And we see right away out of the frying pan into the fire. This is going from bad to worse. He goes from a dried up brook. The brook dries up, right? We talked about that last week. And, and the, the brook is all dried up to a starving widow. Don't miss next week. We're going to see this widow he sends is starving to death. You know, he's, this is God's idea. You dry up the brook, I lose my, my water, I lose all that you're supplying me with, and you send me to a starving widow. This is crazy, right? But there's even more to this story than just that. And it's easy to miss unless we really dig in here. And I know a lot of you did. A lot of you sent me emails on my question on the email. I sent out that email update and some of you sent back some good stuff. But it even gives going to go even deeper. He sends him to Zarephath. Does anybody know what Zarephath means? Anybody find that in your studies? Zarephath. Means literally refining. Refining. He sends him to Zarephath, which means refining. And it's from the root, which is crucible. It's from the root. The root of it is crucible. That's where and how metals are melted to separate the good from the bad, right? That's, they, they take the hot fire and they separate the silver from the dross or the gold from the dross or whatever metal you're trying to get. You separate it from the worthless part of that metal. And it takes a very hot fire in that crucible in order to do the refining. A very hot fire, which is what God is using and doing in Elijah's life. There's no accidents. The Holy Spirit's got this all, I mean, amazing, right? The Holy Spirit's got it all out there. You know, there's a a reason for every name in the Bible. There's a reason for every place he sends them to. And there's more to this refining process. There's more. 
from, if you go from Kareth to Zarephath, it is 100 miles. 100 miles. Now, there's no trains, there's no buses, there's, you know, he's got to walk it, right? 100 miles, and Elijah had to cross a desert to get there. In order to go from one to the other, you have to, it's 100 miles, and you have to cross a desert to get there. And this is during a drought, you know? This is, it's during a drought, so you can imagine what it was like. The place that God picks to refine us is hot, and it's not easily reached, if you've been through refining, we heard Sean's testimony last week. You heard the refining story. It's not easily reached. It's hot. It's painful. And it's the last place in the world we would choose to go. You know what I'm talking about? God's place of refining is the last place we would, in the flesh, humanly choose to go. And that's why I put the title, God Anywhere But Here. But that's where God sends us for the refining. And there's more. There's, and it's not only that, there's even more. Zarephath is where? Zarephath of Sidon. Sidon. It's outside of Israel. If you look at the, the map, it's outside of Israel. It's outside of the promised land. That's where God is sending him. And we're going to talk more about that next week. There's a lot connections with Jesus and the widow and all well, I'm going to save it but don't if you want to do some study look at why why he sent him to that widow there you know do some connecting with the new testament we'll hit that next week but it's outside of the promised land it's to the it's to the the, the gentiles the repulsive gentiles that he's sending them to here right but and it's outside the promised land and during God's times of refining when he's refining us, doesn't it seem like God is far away? Doesn't it seem like his promises, when we're going through that refining time, that dark time, that hot time that God is putting us through, his, his promises seem far away. His promises seem hard to grasp, don't they? That's what happens when we're going through that refining time. They seem so hard to grasp. And, and that's what he sent Elijah out of the promised land. There's another wild connect the dots connection here too he sends him to seraphath of sidon and there just before we get to chapter 17 we go back to chapter 16 31 to 32 we see a very interesting connection talking about king ahab and how evil he was he says ahab he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of jeroboam son of nabat but he also married jezebel daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Whoo! This Sidon is the very place that the wicked queen Jezebel was from. You know Jezebel, the one who's trying to kill him, which we're going to see as we go through this, this story. Uh, he's trying to, she's trying to find Elijah and to kill him. She already killed many of the prophets, most of the prophets. So God puts Elijah in the last place she would look. Think about that. Right under her nose. Right where her dad is. Right where she's from. Puts the last place she would expect and this, once again, just shows us that God's ways are not our ways. 
God's ways are not our ways. If something makes human sense and you could see why you do this, it's probably not what God wants. God's ways are not our ways. He sends Elijah to Jezebel's home turf to live with a poor widow to take care of him. God sends him to the center of Baal worship and idolatry. It's the center of Baal worship. Look at all those names we just read. It's all about Baal. He sends him to the center of Baal worship and idolatry, where he learned to hate Baal even more than before. He already hates Baal, but he now, before he, when he comes out of this, you're going to see him fired up, literally. Fired up. No pun intended. And you're going to see that he really hates Baal and mocks him and disdains him. He sends, he, he, even more than before, because now he, we're gonna see, he sees the emptiness of Baal worship. Not just in Israel where there's a mixture of worshiping Baal and Jehovah. He's gonna see only the worship of Baal. And he's gonna see the starving masses. They're starving physically and spiritually. They're all starving to death. But not just physically. That's just a picture God gave them to see that they were already starving spiritually. They're starving. And he saw firsthand that Baal was powerless to help the Sidonians, the Sids. I'll call them the Sids from now on. The Sids, he's, he's powerless to help them. They're, di- they're not only starving, they're dying physically and spiritually. Wait till we see the story. They're dying. And there he learned to hate Baal more than before. But he learned to hate Baal more than before. But guess what? He learned to love the Sidonians, the Sids. He lived with this widow and this and her son. And we're going to see that as much as he learned to hate Baal, he learned to love them like family. He learned to love these, these repulsive Gentiles. He learned to love them and to see them as people who needed God's love. That's what we're going to see. He, that this is what happens. This is what the, the core of this story is. Why God sent him here to, to, to the very Baal's center spot to live with this starving widow and her son to teach him to hate Baal but to love the Sidonians, the Sids. It reminds me of why, how God sent us here to minister in New Hope. To start New Hope Community Church here. You talk about anywhere but here, God? Anywhere but here? I mean, I don't know if you remember 18 years ago, but it was the center of witchcraft for the East Coast. Thankfully, by God's grace, it's not anymore. But it was a center of, of witchcraft for the East Coast. The, uh, the sexual sin is famous for sexual sin. It's called the Sodom and Gomorrah of Pennsylvania. Uh, that's what it's, it's, it was called and still is called. There is, is a place where the failed church plants. Everybody says, don't go there. Don't try to church, plant a church there. Every church fails in, in New Hope. And, you know, and, and I, I, I have to say, I wasn't real anxious to come here. I felt God calling, but I can't say I was excited about it. In fact, I remember Paul and Beth, when they decided to come and help us, they were at our mother's church. And I remember, I'll never forget, Paul walked up to me at the mother church and said to me, uh, he goes, Chuck, I feel like God's calling us to, to go and help you plant this church, but, but, but I don't want to go. And I said, either do I. <laughs> and you couldn't believe I said it, but we started laughing. And here we still are 18 years later, right? Uh, either, either did I. Uh, it, this is, this is the place 
that we, we didn't want to come. And for good reason. Some of you remember 18 years ago, all the policemen being here every week in the service. It was crazy, right? It was like crazy. It was like out of a movie. Crazy stuff. And, and you remember what it was like, the, all the attacks. And yet it was here. It was here that we learned to hate the idolatrous lies. Especially, and I'll, I'll name one, especially the idolatrous lies of homosexuality. Of homosexual sin. We learned to hate that lie because we saw the effect of it. We, we saw the effect of what it was doing. But even though we learned to hate the effect of homosexual sin, we learned to love those trapped in the sin of homosexuality. And, and, and that they were trapped in this sin and starving spiritually. Starving spiritually. And we learned to see each person not as those people, those Gentiles, those repulsive Gentiles, which is us, right? We, we, we learn to see them as, as, as people that God loves and that Jesus died for. We learn to see them, just like Elijah learned to see this widow and, and this boy, we learn to see them as, as wounded and vulnerable, in need of Jesus Christ's healing love and his, his touch, that's how we learn to see the people here that, are, that were in this, this, this idolatrous lie. We learn to see them as wounded and vulnerable. There's two excellent books in the back of the church. We've had them there for all 18 years. One is called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth, written by a Jewish man. The second one is An Ounce of Prevention, written by a Christian. And these two books are just super Super, showing that, that what the real causes of, of homosexual struggles are. We're not born that way. That is a lie, lie, lie of the, of the media and the world and Satan's lie. Listen, I've been doing this for 18 years here. And I know statistically 37% of all homosexual men have been sexually abused. Think 40%. 40% of the homosexual men, I'm just using the men here, have been sexually abused. And you know what that causes? The confusion and, the, and the, what it does. We've heard people share their testimony, how that, that robbed their manhood. Heard those testimonies here in our church. There's 40% that weren't born that way right there. It's a, it's a lie. But, but people are vulnerable. We're all vulnerable to sin. And we're all vulnerable to certain sins. We all struggle with something, don't we? I'm, I'm just naming one. And I'm naming one because it's well known here. And you know, when I, never, I rarely talk about homosexuality without talking about heterosexual sin, adultery, pornography, uh, the, the, the gamut. I name it all. Premarital sex, I name it all together. I never pick on one because it's all the same. and We all struggle with something. Every one of us is vulnerable to something. But, but 40%, almost 40% of homosexual men were abused as children. And, not, and, and here's something else. Out of all the ones I've met, 100% have been rejected. 100% of them have been rejected. And I've sat down with a lot, talked to a lot, helped a lot of men out of that lifestyle, women and women, out of that life into a brand new life in Christ. And 100% of them have been rejected. Every guy I've talked to, their father rejected them for some reason. They were rejected and they're searching, desperately searching for male affirmation, a father to affirm them. 
And they've been rejected. And, and then as they turn, you've heard testimonies up here. People have come and spoke on this. When they, they have that deep need, even for, as a, ever since I can remember, sure. Ever since they were little, they, they needed that affirmation, didn't get it. And then when they hit teenage years, they eroticize it. And it becomes sexualized, that search. But really, the point is they're desperately looking for a father's affirmation. And that's what we as Christians, as, as Christian men, can give these people that are wounded and hurt and rejected. 100% have been rejected, many times rejected by the church. They've gone to churches to, to find that affirmation, and they've been rejected because they're repulsive Gentiles. And that's where the church, that's what we have tried so hard to do, is to, is to share the love of Jesus Christ and to affirm these wounded people, men and women, to affirm them and help them break these strongholds. And to be free in Jesus Christ. And when the love of God through his son Jesus Christ collides, collides with brokenness, that's when we see the miracles. Think of the testimonies you've heard here. That's when we see the miracles. Many in New Hope we've seen, and and all of us, we've all broken. I'm just naming one struggle. We're all there, aren't we? We're all somewhere broken and vulnerable. Where is God calling you today? Maybe you are kicking and screaming. (laughs) Anywhere but here, God. God, anywhere but here. Maybe he's called you to this certain place. Uh, Maybe it's a mission or a mission trip or a ministry or moving somewhere. And, and, And oftentimes when God closes one door, he's opening another one, right? God closes one door. He's opening another one. Where is God calling you today? Maybe he's calling you to this person that you don't want to be with. You don't want to spend time with them. To to spend time with them. To to share the gospel with them. To stay with them even though you don't want to be there with them. Uh, You know, maybe he's called you to some trial. I shouldn't say maybe. I know he's called us all to a trial. If we're breathing, he's calling us to a trial. He's calling us to a place of refining. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, it says, listen to what Peter says here. He says, in this way, and oh, I'm sorry, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by Fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The whole point is our faith is being refined. That's why God puts us through this. He's refining us. And we're always trying to find a pill or get out of it or, or pray our way out of it. And God is saying, stop trying to get out of the refiner's fire and let me do what needs to be done. And a lot of times we pray cross-purposed with God. We're like, God, you know get this person out of that or take this away or, or heal them. And believe me, I pray for healing all the time and we see a lot of healing. But, but God has a purpose too and we have to keep our eyes open and our prayer really should be, God, what is your will? What is your purpose in this? Complete it so that they can be healed or, or give them the grace to go through that, that thorn in the flesh that they're going to have to hang on to. But the point is, is what is God's purpose? What will glorify God? That's got to be the way that we see our own life and that we pray for others too, that it changes the whole way we think. God, what is your purpose? Accomplish your purpose. Glorify your name. And once we get there, we're at a whole nother place. We see things completely different. 
Maybe he's calling you to become a Christian. Maybe you're saying you're not a Christian yet. And he's calling you to the cross. He's putting you through that refining time, that hot time, because he's trying to bring you to your knees and bring you to Jesus Christ and bring you to the cross and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he's doing this in love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Life. Have you ever put your faith? Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for every one of us to pay for our sin, to break the power of sin, to break the power of death, to break the power of Satan in our life. He died in, Jesus died in our place. And if we will believe in him, the word believe there means to put your complete trust in, complete surrender of life to him. If we will do that, we can have a brand new life now and forever in Jesus Christ. Have you ever taken that step of faith? That's what communion is all about. Focusing on the cross. The the bread represents the body. The cup represents the blood of Christ that he gave on that cross. And it's a reminder of what he did for us. And a reminder to stay close to him. And stay in close communion with him. But it's also a reminder if you're here and you haven't put your faith in him yet. This is the time to do it. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. That's what communion is all about, staying close to God or coming to Jesus, holding his hand wherever he leads us. Communion communion means to commune, to stay close. Wherever he leads us, wherever he has us, stay close to Jesus. Hang on to God's hand. How we take communion, I already mentioned what it is, but how we take it, we just start to have some uh, worship time. After my prayer time, we have some worship time, and you just can come up and take it. You can take it back to your seat. You can take it with someone. You can take it alone. However you want to take it, it's between you and God. You just take the the bread and the cup. Uh, There's a few reasons the Bible gives us why we shouldn't take communion. One is if we're not a Christian yet. Now, you may not be a Christian, but you can do that today and still take it. But if you're not ready, just wait. Wait for next time. Just take this time to pray and to meditate and think, you know, pray. But I, I hope... Anybody can. The second reason is there's something in our life that we won't surrender. The Bible says don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. And that means if there's something that we won't confess to God, that we won't repent of, that we won't uh, surrender to him. Now, I didn't say if we're struggling because everybody, we all struggle. I'm sure you struggled this morning on the way in. We struggle with sin constantly. But it's not saying that we can't struggle. The point is we're not willing to surrender. We're not willing to say, God, I need extra mercy. I need extra grace. I I want to keep fighting this thing. Or there's something in our life. He's leading us and he's directing us to do something. We say, no, God, I won't go there. Anywhere but but there, God. But I pray that today we do surrender. And this is a time to reconnect and to get close with God again. Everybody can. I hope you do because everybody can. But it's between you and God. and, And this is just a time for... Prayer and meditation and communion if you're ready. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, this time of communion, how is God speaking to us? This time of Christmas communion, it's a reminder that Jesus was born But he was born for a reason. He was born to die for us. He was born to die for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal 
life. Is God drawing you to the cross of Jesus Christ this morning? Is he calling you to surrender your life and to put your faith in his son Jesus Christ? You can do that right now. You don't have to perform a ritual. You don't have to say a special prayer. It's just a prayer of faith in your heart to God. A simple prayer. God, I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. I turn away from that old life. I turn away from the sin. I repent and walk away from that old life. I'm going to follow Jesus in faith. John 6, 47 says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. The words of Jesus Christ. If you have prayed that prayer, you have eternal, everlasting life. And it starts this moment. It doesn't start in heaven. It starts this moment. You have a brand new life in Jesus. And it's going to go forever. In heaven someday. With God. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you can now commune. If you've surrendered your life, you can now commune with God anytime, any second, anywhere. You can come to him as your father for mercy and grace. And if you have prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend or family member here. Maybe you tell me on the way out or you fill out the card or Text or call. Let, let me know. Let somebody know. Fill out the card. Stick it in the box. Let somebody know because we, we want to encourage you and be excited for you. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the, the word of God today? Where is God leading you? It might be a hot place. It might be around the world. It might be right next door. It might be down into Philly. It might be into New Hope, into places you're not comfortable with. Where is God leading us today? Are we willing to pray, God, Accomplish your purpose. Your purpose for your glory in my life. Father, as we go to this time of communion, we invite your Holy Spirit to continue to touch our hearts in a very special way as we remember your son Jesus, what he did for us. Father, whatever is blocking our communion, whatever is blocking our close 
loving relationship with you. We pray that you are, your spirit would convict us and, and help us to take the step of faith. Pray this in Jesus' name.